welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. So tonight we're going to be defending the faith against the false teaching or really a false worldview called deism. Can you say deism? Deism. Deism. Has anyone heard of the term deism before? Anyone want to give me a definition? What is a deist? What do they believe? Don't look at the sheet. Can't do that. No no cheating. What, What is a deist? Anyone? Or where have you heard that? Context. Students. Any students? No? Okay. Well, you probably haven't... Okay, any leader want to chime in? What's a deist? A deist is somebody that believes in a god or some kind of supernatural divine force that they are impersonal, they're distant, they don't interact at all. They created things probably and then there's up there. Yeah, exactly. So we'll get into this. You run into deists all the time. In fact, one of the most uh, prevalent false religions, I would say this happens within the Christian church, is a lot of young people are practical. They would say that they're Christians. They would use that title, but they are practical deists. And so we're going to look at what that means. But I wanted to find some terms before we go into that. First, the first term that I wanted to find is a worldview. Every single one of us has a worldview. So a worldview, let's look at the notes here. What is a worldview? A worldview is a world and life view, right? Um, it's the structure of understanding that we use to make sense of our world. And so a worldview consists of four major questions, and every single person has ever lived has answers to some to these questions, and depending on their answers, it determines their worldview. Okay? So each and every one of you, so Jimmy James, you got glasses on right now. So you are looking through a specific lens that helps you see, right? A worldview is kind of like glasses. Every single one has it. It's how you view life in this world. And so four basic questions that every single person probably has an answer to, whether it's a good one or a a bad one, is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? And what is – this isn't on there, but why is there something rather than nothing? What is the purpose of us being created or why are we here? Two – What in the world has gone wrong? Most people would say there's something wrong, right? In this world, we live in a broken world. Your coworkers, your coach, your teachers, your, your, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you're, you're checking out that lady, that man has a worldview and they would probably say, yeah, there's something wrong in this world. And I don't know what it is. Uh, Maybe it's, maybe it's that just people aren't good. They're not just, they're not living up to their potential. Number three. Is there any hope or what is the solution? All right, that's salvation. Everyone has a solution, whether it's a good one or a bad one. Deism has a solution, which we'll get to. And then where is history headed? Do we believe in an afterlife or not? What is the purpose? Where are we headed? 
So let's go, let's define some, ther- uh, some terms here. Christian theism, that's what a Christian is. So Christian theism, in the most general sense, a theist is a person who believes in at least one God or deity. So those that believe in Islam or Judaism, they are theists. They believe in God. Or you could be polytheist. What is a polytheist? Many gods. Good job. But Christians, we're not polytheists. We're what? Monotheist. Good job. Mono meaning the sickness that you get for kissing other people. It's a sickness if you didn't know that. No. Mono. Mono means one, right? Singular. So Christians are monotheists, which means we believe in one God that subsists in three persons. That's the Trinity. Islamists or Muslims do not believe in the Trinity. Jews do not believe in the Trinity. Uh, or those that practice Judaism, I should say. There are Christian Jews. Christians confess that the triune God has created all things, has revealed to himself in Christ and his word, is personally involved in his creation, especially in sending Jesus for our redemption, and is providentially upholding, created all things by his power. That's what we believe. We believe in a God that is here, that, that, that is active. Now, deism, Than did a great job, Deism differs because it's a philosophical, a philosophical worldview of God that posits God as a creator. Look, it's in the notes. Who set the universe in motion and then stepped back, no longer actively engaging with creation. So the God of the deists is a God who pretty much takes the remote control or the channel changer is what we call it in my house. And he hits the button of creation. And then he leans back on the couch with his beer and long hair and does, just sits back and just doesn't get involved. He's just chilling. That's kind of the picture of a de- uh, uh, the God of the deist. What it is is he, he, there's a God who created everything, but he's not involved in this world. Um, oh, yes, thank you. Uh, he's not involved in this world. He, uh, some people use the illustration that God is kind of like a watchmaker. So he kind of winds up, he creates a watch, he winds up the watch, which is the creation of the world, and then he just lets it go and then it kind of spins. Have you heard of that illustration? And then he doesn't get involved in this world. So this view was popular in the 17th and 18th century in Europe among those who oppose the excesses of organized religion. Deism emphasized the use of reason over revelation for deciding religious questions. So it's more of a rationalistic they don't, uh, religion. They don't believe in the theory of evolution. They believe that God created everything, but um, like I said, he's not involved. He's not a personal God. He's not a God that can be known. He's an unknown God. So where does this come from? Where did this start? So let me give you some history. All right. The father of English deism was a man named Edward Herbert. And Edward Herbert created the ice cream sherbet. And uh, no, he didn't really. Edward Herbert was the first Baron Herbert of Cherbury. I don't even know how to say this. He was an English politician. He was a soldier, a diplomat, a poet, a philosopher. He was educated at Oxford, so a very smart man. Herbert served as a member of Parliament. Um, you know, have you guys seen Parliament? You know, that looks like in England. In England. Um, it's kind of their uh, government system there. He was the ambassador to France. 
where he successfully negotiated the marriage of Henrietta Maria to the future King Charles I of England. And so in in about uh, 1624, he sought to establish reason, this is key, as the safest guide in finding truth. So he's like, the scriptures are not the safest guide to finding truth, man's reason, okay? He doesn't believe in a God who reveals himself in his words. Therefore, all we could really find out about truth is by using human reason. And the reason why he kind of came up with deistic, a deistic worldview is that he found it really hard to believe. And in fact, he called it immoral for God to punish pagan nations or people that never received the written revelation of, of God's word. So he thought of all those people on those islands or in those countries that have never that have never received God's word or heard the gospel, and he and, and he he thought that, that was immoral of God to do. Alright? We would say as Christians, no, God is just in punishing all people because the law of God is written on their heart. They know that there's a God, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's first that's Romans 1, 18 through 32. But he would say, no, 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 that's immoral. Therefore, he created a system to justify his thinking. And his justification for his thinking was, there is a God, but he doesn't require everyone to know his word. Therefore, salvation, the means of salvation, the the way to fix the brokenness in our world is by living and pursuing a virtuous life, which anyone and everyone can do. Okay? So he came up with deism. Now, some proponents of deism... Anyone want to guess? Anyone know any famous deists? Who? Anyone? No? What? Thomas Jefferson. Okay, have you guys heard of the Jefferson Bible? You know it? Okay, Jimmy James, what's the Jefferson Bible? Basically cut out everything that he didn't like about the Bible. Everything that was supernatural. Because deists deny anything supernatural in the Word of God. So they they deny miracles, they deny... The incarnation of Jesus coming to, to be born of a virgin, of being fully God and fully man, raising again from the dead, ascending into heaven. So Thomas Jefferson, the, the saying is, is that he literally would cut out all the portions of the miracles, anything supernatural. But he kept all the ethical and moral aspects of the scriptures. So the commands, love one another, right? Uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Uh, forgiving one another. They're very moral, virtuous people, but he denied everything supernatural. Uh, Napoleon was a deist. John Locke, which actually one of the, kind of the, who undergirds the, the creation of the Western experiment, what we have in America in terms of political theory. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Abraham Lincoln was a deist. Neil Armstrong was a deist. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. So you got to have a sense that he's like, there has to be a crater. How do you explain this? But that's as far as he went. Living life as a virtuous person, it's up to chance. God is not providentially, sovereignly involved, orchestrating anything. It's up to chance, human will, being virtuous. That is the key to life. So on and so forth, okay? So let's go specifically, what do deists believe? What do they believe? Look at one, two, three, and four, and five here. Okay? So we've already talked about this. They believe in a created being who has not revealed himself by special revelation. He's not involved in creation. They deny super 
natural acts of God, like miracles, all that, all those things listed. They believe in worship. So Abraham Lincoln, these guys, they would say, worship is good. You should worship God. But the way that we worship is by living a virtuous life. It's by doing your best. By trying to be a good person. How many people have heard someone say, you know, I just want to live my life and be a good person. That's the goal of life. Yeah? Have you heard that? I've, most of you have. Right? Most of the people would probably say, yeah, there's maybe a God. They're probably more deistic in their thinking. In morality, so many deists believe in objective morality based on natural law and reason. So like I used the example, Thomas Jefferson, he thought it was wrong to murder. It's wrong to commit adultery. There you go, Sam. Um, you know, all those things. Uh, but he wouldn't say that those laws came from God. They come from society. They come from natural reason, natural law. Of course, murder is wrong because everyone hates to be murdered. No one wants to be murdered. Theft is wrong, right? How do we know theft, theft is wrong? Gino, did you know that Josh stole your wallet earlier and you didn't even know it, right? I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> right? There's, there's a funny quote by R.C. Sproul. He was asked a question, uh, someone who didn't believe in morality. He didn't think uh, there's anything a sin or anything as such as morality. And so R.C. Sproul goes, oh, yeah, tell that or uh, have someone or no, no, no. Someone say, my brother doesn't believe in morality. What should I do? And R.C. Sproul goes, steal his wallet. <laughs> he tells the crowd to go steal his wallet and see what happens. Right. And the point is, is that the law of God is written on our hearts. We would say that because we're made in the image of God. Right. But a deist would say, no, 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 no. Yeah, we're created by God, but it comes from natural reason. That's morality. So they don't really have an ultimate standard. Uh, man is the ultimate standard. Then they would say repentance. They would say it is good to recognize wrong and to confess and turn away from it. Confession is the means of atoning for sin. So no blood atonement needs to be made. As long as you admit that you're wrong, God will forgive you. He's a forgiving God. They'd probably say that. And you'd be fine. Immortality. So some deists deny the afterlife, but others affirm one. For those who affirm an afterlife, they believe that living a good moral life is the way to enter eternal life. So, obviously, Thomas Jefferson, all these people are dead, right? But there is a modern version of deism. And that is called, look in the next in your, in your notes, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And all of your friends, or not maybe not friends, but people your age in churches across America hold to this view without even knowing it. Moralistic therapeutic deism, it's a subset, like, a, like, an, like an ugly cousin of deism, okay? It is a, is a term coined by sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Denton in their book Soul Searching. It came out in 2005, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And it refers to a variety of functional deism that though it is not a complete or formal religious system, is sometimes characterized by the main belief system in America, especially among young people. So what do these young people believe about God? And they ask this question of young people in churches, Christian churches throughout America. And this is what a lot of teenagers said. They believe that a God exists, so they're spiritual, they're deists, but that God wants people to be good to each other. So God is like a moral janitor, just a good bro. You know, you mess up, you might get a slap on the wrist, but really you just got to try to be good. That's the moralistic part. 
The goal of life is to be happy, therapeutic, all right? It's to feel good, to do whatever you feel is good. God is happy with that. God wants you to be happy. That's the goal of life. And so what makes you happy, you pursue. And this leads into expressive individualism. It says, when people say, what, what makes me happy is that if I identify as a different sex or a different gender, it leads down to that way. And, and then we say as a culture, no, that's a good thing. That's a moral good. And so a lot of kids your age would say, no, the goal, God's goal for you is to be happy. But is that really what the Bible teaches? Number four, God does not involve himself in human affairs except to resolve problems. You know, a really good picture of moralistic therapeutic deism or deism in general was what happened on Monday night football. You guys hear the the man that, that had a heart attack, very sad, many people praying for him. But that's just the thing. That stadium was filled with people, ESPN analysis, NFL analysis, people across the web are, are offering up prayers to, go, to an unknown God. Some, I would believe, are Christians. Some are Muslim. <laughs> some are practice Judaism. Some are praying to the real God, but then some are just praying. They're, not, they're religious, but they don't know who they're praying to, right? It's just a good picture of like people are spiritual, but they don't know who they're praying to, which is why, which we'll get to how to share the gospel with them, why they need the true God. And then lastly, number five, they believe that good people, when they die, go to heaven. You just have a sincere faith. And so what's the problem with deism? What's the problem with deism? First problem, why would an impersonal God create personal beings with the capacity to communicate, and yet God does not communicate with them, right? So if God creates personal beings, that's us, me and you, and we are able to have communication, yet God doesn't communicate with us. If you were to create a robot in your own likeness, right? Matthew Bloomquist, if you were to make a robot that looks exactly like you, chiseled abs, a great jawline, long hair, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and, but there was, you, you, you created, it just looks so good, you know, and everything, and everything is pretty much in your likeness, but you didn't, it communicate with other people, but you didn't have the, the ability to communicate with it, right? That would be a little awkward, right? If you're making a personal being, wouldn't that mean that you're personal, yet God doesn't communicate? That's what deists believe, they, that God doesn't communicate with us. Number two, deists have no answer for the problem of evil, suffering, and pain. They believe that God is all-wise and all-knowing, but what happens when cancer strikes? What happens? I mean, Christians got to answer this question too, but I think Christianity is a way better answer to sin and brokenness in this world, where the deist just says, ah, it's up to chance. God doesn't intervene. He doesn't come and help to save mankind. Right? He doesn't save them from their sin. Man is the one that needs to save himself. Third, the moral problem. So if Thomas Jefferson believes in morality, that murder is wrong, and, and adultery is wrong, and stealing is wrong, by what standard of authority? Who says right? And we would say the word of God, God says his word is our standard of authority, but basically the standard of authority for a deist is just a human being who gets to say that Thomas Jefferson is right. And the one, the, the Muslim who practices Sharia law or, you know, the, the, um, or someone that, you know, in, in these other countries that, that put to death, you know, that, that are injustice, that practice injustice, 
Who's to say who's right? We would say God's word tells us what's right, but the deist has no answer for that. Lastly, the problem with deism is that it's a halfway house between Christianity and atheism. It leads to universalism. That is the belief that all people go to heaven. And, and that's really, it's just, you got one foot in. Yeah, I kind of believe that there's a God, but then you're really a skeptic. You don't live as if there really is a personal God, a God who, who cares, a God who is there. So lastly, how does, actually two last points. How does deism hold up against biblical Christianity? All right, so we're six, 19 minutes in. All right, we, we got the deists. You're going to run into these people. I believe that there's a God. Uh, he doesn't really care how I live. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to live a good life. How does that compare to Christianity? Let's go through these. First, Christians believe in a personal and sovereign triune God who reveals himself generally through creation and specifically in his word. We would agree with deists that say, we know that there's a God by looking at creation. Something had to create this, and that's true. But where we disagree is that this same God has revealed himself and communicated himself specifically in his word and through his redemptive acts in Jesus Christ. And we can know this God and have a relationship with God. Number two, we were made to worship God, not by living a virtuous life or pursuing virtue in man's eyes, but by trusting in his promises and obeying his law. So we're made to worship God, to glorify him in the way that we glorify him is by trusting in him, by taking him in his word, by obeying him and living according to what he has said. Three, God is the standard of righteousness and justice. And that's a problem for us because we've all fallen short of God's standard. Each and every one of us are sinners, Christians believe. We can't be good for there's none good, not even one. So the message of just live a virtuous life is really a depressing one. It will either lead you to pride And you will compare yourself like, look at me, I'm way more virtuous than everyone else. Look at all the good deeds that I do. Or if you're more realistic, you're going to be depressed because you can't live up to Mother Teresa. You can't live up to these people that are doing all these good deeds and all these good works and you can never be good enough. And Christianity says, yes, that's right. You can't be good enough because you're a sinner. You're corrupt. You're dead in sin. You're enslaved to your sin. You need a savior and it doesn't come from you. It comes from outside of you. And that comes to number four. We believe that God has personally intervened with sinful creation. How? By sending his son to rescue us. Right? He sent him on a rescue mission into this world, lived as a baby, grew up, obeyed the law, died on the cross for our sins, and now calls all people to repent of their sin and to trust in him. And salvation and forgiveness and eternal life is offered to those who receive him by faith. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what deists need. Um, that's what our friends need. And that every human, lastly, every human being has an eternal soul. And that those who trust in Christ alone for salvation will be given eternal life. And those who reject the gospel will receive eternal damnation and hell forever. That's what's at stake here, guys. Your friends that don't believe in Jesus. That are, maybe have more deistic beliefs. That say that there's a God but don't live as if there is a God. Man, they need the good news. They need the good news of Jesus. God has intervened. He's given us his law. We've broken his law, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and die for us so that we may have eternal life. So 
how to share the gospel with those who hold this false teaching. I want you to turn to Acts 17, 22 through, or not, well, I guess we can just turn there. And there's three things that Paul, Paul addresses in Acts 17. I'm just going to read the passage and then we'll close up here because we got to go to prayer. Act, or, uh, Paul is in Athens and he sees all of these idols that, that these people are worshiping. So they're polytheists. They worship many gods. But they make this idol, and it says, to an unknown God. Right? It's kind of like a deistic God. There's a God, but it's an unknown God. We don't know who it is, but we want to make sure that we cover all the gods. So we have the statue to the unknown God that we don't know who he is. But that's a good representation of what deists believe. So how does Paul evangelize to these people? All right? Look at verse 22. And I'm going to stop as we go through or afterwards, and I'll give you three things, and then we'll be done. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, that's Mars Hill, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. Deists would say that they're religious. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship, and I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. So what you, what therefore you worship as unknown This I proclaim to you. This I make known to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's the creator and sustainer of all mankind. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, face, uh, on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That sounds like a God who intervenes right there, who's sovereignly controlling all things. Why? Verse 27, that they should seek God. See, our God wants to be known. The deist God cannot be known. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, the deist God is far off. We cannot know him. But the Christian God, we can, he can be known. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of man. The times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he has intervened. How? He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will intervene. Judge the world in righteousness by a man, that is Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What was their reaction? Now, when they heard this of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And deists would mock you. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Pretty cool story, huh? Three things that we could focus on in, in, in witnessing. How to share the gospel with those who believe in a deistic God. First, Focus on God's sovereign power in governing all his creation. 
and that he calls man to be reconciled to him. He, inter- he has intervened. Second, focus on the sinfulness of man by preaching the law. That no man is able to be virtuous and earn salvation. Give them the Ten Commandments. Ask them, have they kept them? <laughs> and why is it they feel guilty? And that they deserve the wages of sin is death, right? Preach the law. Make sure they feel convicted that they can't be a good person. Make sure that they feel that in love. You're not being a jerk, but in love. You want them to feel as if they are sinners. Why? Because they are. And then lastly, once you do that, you kindly and gently focus on the perfection of Christ's person and saving work by preaching the good news of Jesus. That he intervened, that he came to seek and save the lost. right? And that there is a way to salvation through him. This is a simple way, as we see the, the difference between moralistic therapeutic deism. A lot of people believe this. They would say that they're Christians, but functionally, how they live practically is deistic. And we need to be loving enough to go after these people, share the gospel with them, invite them to church, tell them about the good news of, of salvation by, faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time. I just pray that you would equip these students this week to go and share the gospel and that even this little talk would give them confidence and the sheet would give them confidence just to go over the core tenets of the Christian faith over against those who deny you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So next, just real quick, next month, we're gonna start a little bit earlier because I wanna always do Q&A. So if you got questions, we got to go to get to prayer. But if you have questions, ask your leader, ask me, come to me, ask me any question you want. I'd love to answer them. And uh, maybe I'll put this on the podcast later and add to it. Okay. Thanks for coming tonight. I hope that was helpful. Hope you get excited about evangelizing the lost. Let's get after this week and let's go pray for our lost friends.